All right, come on, let's give it up for Jesus now. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on. All right. Well, it's good to be with you all. I see some familiar faces and some new faces. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't know me, um, my wife and I, as she said, we pastor the Zion Pickerington location, and uh, we have been uh, connected to Zion and on staff at Zion since 2010. So uh, if you've never seen me before, you're, th you're the new one, not me. So just, just so you know. We've, we've been around, so uh, I'm going to try to get up here more consistently. Pastor Jim and I have been talking about uh, when he's at Pickerington, him and I swapping. So I uh, may be up here a little bit more consistently. So good to be with you guys, and uh, I'm excited for what God is doing. Are you excited? So uh, before I get started uh, this morning, uh, I just want to... Um, I was asked to kind of reiterate an announcement. I don't know if it was made. I'm sorry, Cheryl. I totally zoned out during announcements. <clears throat> it, I was taking note. Revelation zoned out. Okay. I don't know what all your excuses were, but I was getting downloads from the throne room because of Cheryl's announcements. So... But we have, uh, we have something coming up June 15th at uh, Zion Pickerington, and uh, we're, we're calling it The Cloud. Uh, I'm just going to leave it like that. So it's so mysterious you have to come to find out. No, uh, it, it's really, it, it comes from a message that Dave Jones preached at Zion Pickerington at CSSM. So uh, I believe that uh, Pastor Sean made that available on uh, Zion Powell's podcasts, uh, but if you haven't had a chance yet, I would encourage you to listen to that message. It's an amazing, timely, prophetic message, but he goes through the entire Bible and pulls out every reference to cl the cloud and, and really uh, breaks down what, the, what it means and, and kind of the prophetic significance, but uh, to, if I was to sum it up in a phrase, the cloud prepares us to go in. When the cloud comes down, that's when, that's when we, we go in or he shows up, okay? It's our covering. The, 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 the mammals have fur. You know, the, the, the fish of the air have feathers. We were meant to be covered in glory. It was our original covering. It was the original covering in the Garden of Eden. And so uh, it, it's just an amazing revelation. And so out of that, uh, you know, Dave kind of breaks down really what, it, what you do in your life to create that cloud. And it's prayer, it's worship, it's intercession, it's communion with God, it's nothing new. But we uh, you know, felt so strongly just to this message that uh, we wanted to do uh, eight hours of prayer and worship. At, and so we're doing it June 15th from noon uh, to eight. And so if you come at noon, we're gonna lock the doors and you have to stay till eight. I'm just teasing. It's come and go. Uh, so you can come and go as you please. Uh, and, and just recently, uh, we decided, we made a decision, and I'm a little nervous about this decision, but uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and go for it. Uh, my wife and I, we have a, a missions um, uh, ministry uh, that we also do, and we were donated a 600-seat revival tent. So it, it's 110 feet in diameter. And so just to, you know, for comparison, I think from this wall to this wall is between 80 and 90 feet. 
And so it's bigger than a sanctuary. It's, it's quite large. And uh, we were donated a 30-foot diesel box truck, stage, lights, sound equipment. It's a mobile crusade unit. Come on, Jesus. So they, they just signed the whole thing over. The, the truck only has 65,000 miles on it. So I, I can't think of a better way to inaugurate a revival tent than to set it up and, and soak it with eight hours of prayer and worship. So we've got teams from Powell, we've got teams from Pickerington, other teams that are coming, they're going to they're do different sets uh, throughout this time frame. And so we just invite you to come and just experience it, just worship, just lay on the grass since it's going to be outside uh, in the tent. And uh, we're excited. If you can't make it, just pray for it. Uh, we're, we're really encouraged about what God's doing. And this is, uh, it's not just a Zion Pickerington thing, it's a regional thing. It's a Zion as a whole thing. And so uh, we're really going to go after it. And so... Uh, you, this is your formal invite. All right. So I wanted to talk to you this morning. That's it. I just wanted to talk to you this morning. No, I, I was, uh, you know, I don't typically follow uh, a lot of the Jewish calendar and things of that nature and, and, um, you know, no particular reason, just, just, it's just not my thing. And so uh, I know it's in the Bible. I know it's, you know, it's, it's prevalent and there are people who are like all into it and I so appreciate them. Uh, but I, I only found out last night that today was Pentecost Sunday. And for those of you who do not know what Pentecost Sunday is, Pentecost is exactly 50 days after Easter. It's 50 days after Easter. And so if you have read your Bible and you know in Acts chapter 2, there's, there's a, a portion of Acts chapter 2 where there, and suddenly, right? You, you guys know what I'm, I'm talking about. And suddenly there came a sound, a sound that came like wind and appeared like fire. This was 50 days after the resurrection. This is Pentecost. And so uh, th this Sunday, this, this week, this time frame, it symbolizes what happened, right? This is the, the, the time frame. And so I, I just felt like talking a little bit about Pentecost, a little bit about Pentecost Sunday. Uh, but it, as I was reading Acts chapter 2, rereading Acts chapter 2, something stuck out to me. And, and there, initially, there was 120 people that, that stepped into this thing, Right? You know, those of you who know, there's 120 people uh, in an upper room with no AC in a prayer meeting for 10 days, right? And, and, and so th this is, uh, there's, a, there's the first miracle. You know, if, if it's like 72, I'm a little stuffy. And so you have these guys and gals in this upper room for 10 days in a prayer meeting praying into, Jesus told them to wait they didn't even know what they were waiting on. They said, wait. And it's interesting that, uh, you know, as I studied this more, uh, do I need to switch microphones? Okay. Test, test. Is that better? All right, thanks. It's not like you turn the bass down. I sound a little bit more like T.D. Jakes. 
Come on now. I hear you, Mama Dora. All right, we're, we're, I'm so lost right now. So they're waiting. <laughs> they are waiting. And it's interesting that when you study this out, when you study out the, the Jewish heritage, what they would have uh, understood this waiting to be, uh, there's, there's something that happened on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, there was the high priest. And in the Old Covenant, one man entered into the presence of God one day a week and offered up sacrifices for the entire nation, all the people. Okay? Are you tracking with me? When that high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, they would be dressed in white linen. They would be dressed as a servant because they would represent the people before God and God before the people. Are you tracking with me? And so when they walked into the Holy of Holies, they're dressed in white linen. It's interesting that they used white linen because white linen was the garment of a servant. White linen is the garment of a servant. It's the reason why we use white linen for tablecloths, because it doesn't stain easily. If you remember when Aaron was anointed, it said that they poured oil down his head, and the oil ran down his face, down his beard. That's how you know beards are anointed. Ran down the beard, down the garment of his clothes, all the way to his feet, because when the oil hits a servant, it slides, and it doesn't absorb. And so that's how you really know when you're sitting next to someone who is a servant, they will serve you with the oil. They don't soak it up. They don't stick out their hands and stare at their spiritual navel and say, give me more, Lord, give me more. You realize that there is a measure that God's already given you, and to get more, you give away what you have. The kingdom is backwards. So the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies dressed in white linen, dressed as a servant. He would offer up the sacrifices uh, for the nation. He would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, atone for the sins of the nation. He would come out, and before he would go out to the people, he would change garments. Because re remember, he went into the Holy of Holies representing God, a man before God. He would come out to the people representing God before man. And so... The, cost, the, the costume, you say costume, it kind of looks like a costume. Many of you maybe have seen pictures. They've got the really tall hat. They've got the, the breastplate with all of the jewels on it. They're really blinged out. They've got all this stuff on. At the bottom of the garment, there are bells and pomegranates. Bells and pomegranates. And I, I'm going somewhere with this. Are you Okay. There are bells and pomegranates on the bottom of the garment. And so when the high priest would come out of the Holy of Holies, he would change garments in the outer court before he would head out into the, where the people would be. Because in the Day of Atonement, the entire nation would come around the temple of God because this is the day that the sins for the nation are atoned for. It's a big day in the year for a Jewish person. In the process of changing garments... Try to put a garment with bells on it and not be quiet. And so the people were standing outside of the temple waiting for a sound. 
When they heard the sound of the bells, they understood one thing. They understood that they were now in right standing with God as a nation. They understood that the priest was alive, that the blood had been put on the mercy seat, that the sacrifice had been made, and they were now they could now celebrate their righteousness in their place with God because of the right offering. And so as soon as they heard the sound, they would begin to shout. Before the priest even got out, before the announcement was even made, they would hear the sound, and then they would begin to celebrate. And so when Jesus said, you know, I'm ascending, go to Jerusalem and wait. Who is our high priest? Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus descended into the lower parts. He took back the keys of hell. He led captivity captive, and he ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. In this moment, he changed garments. Because the next time you see Jesus after he ascended is in Revelation 1 where John sees Jesus and he falls as a dead man. Because he sees Jesus as God. He never stopped being God. He didn't, Philippians tells us that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he put aside his divinity and came to earth and lived his life as a man in right relationship with God. And so Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait. And they knew they were waiting for a sound. And Acts chapter 2 tells us, and suddenly, and suddenly, you understand that there are times when God does things suddenly. You can't prepare for it. You, you can't explain it. You can't understand where it came from or what direction it's going towards. But God just does things and suddenly. Has anybody ever had God do something suddenly in your life? Okay, three people. I'm going to pray the whirlwind of and suddenlies over your life where everything changes in a day. Everything changes in a day. One day you're going in one direction and you thought that this would happen and God's going to completely flip it on its head and he's going to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think because he's God and you're not. And suddenly there came a sound. So they understood what the sound meant. The sound meant that they were now in a new covenant. They were in right standing with God. And they could begin to shout and dance and sing and praise because God has made them in right standing. Jesus has made them in right standing. But Jesus took it a step further. He gave them his spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues. Now, that's amazing, and we could stop right there and just begin to celebrate what God did. Because what God did in that moment, it carries through every day as a Christian up until this very moment right now. The, the, the fact that the Spirit has been infused into a man's mortal body. That the Bible says that all uh, uh, the, the fullness of God dwells. The fullness of God dwells in you. And this, this is amazing. But when people started to show up, you know, I started to read what Peter's, you know, in Acts 2, Peter stood up when people started to, to come, and he started to share. He preached a sermon. And he didn't talk about the baptism of fire. He didn't talk about 
fresh fire. He didn't talk about anything like that. What he went back to is what led them to Pentecost. What was the, what happened leading up to Pentecost? And so he went all the way back to what we call Easter, Good Friday, when Jesus was crucified, when he died. He died. Somebody say he died. I'm glad that he died. Because if he had not died, we would not be sitting here in this building right now. His sacrifice, what he did, he died. He died. And there, there's something powerful about remembering what God did because it helps you step into what God's doing. And so Peter stands up and helps all of these people understand what happened and what God did so that they could fully step into and fully be activated into what God is doing. And so he reminded them that God died. Jesus died. You crucified him. He died. He died until the sun refused to shine. He died until the earth got nervous and began to shake. He died until lightning cracked across the sky and thunder spoke up. He died until law let loose and turned into grace. He died until curses broke into blessings. He died until the centurion said, surely this man is the son of God. He died until the thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He died until graves opened up all over the city. He died. And something happened when he died. Something happened when he died. Something let loose in the atmosphere when he died. And that's why it's important to not forget what he did. He died. And here's the thing. The enemy thought that he, when he killed the body, he would kill the strategy. But there's a principle that started all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis, the first murder occurred where Cain murdered Abel. And there's a phrase there that just sticks out where God begins to speak down to Cain and says, I heard the blood of your brother crying out from the ground. And so that tells me that even though the body died, the blood still speaks. Even though Abel had died, the blood cried out from the ground. And so when, when the enemy thought that he, when he killed the body of Jesus, he killed the strategy of God. But what he didn't realize is that the blood still spoke. The blood of Jesus cried out from the ground and cried out, it is finished. From the ground, he died. It's interesting that Biblical accounts and church history and church historians tell us that he very well should have died when he was on the, on the whipping post, when he was being beaten. Isaiah 53, it says that he was beaten so badly that his facade, his face was almost unrecognizable. 
He was beaten so bad. It, it, you know, he, they used the, the cat of nine tails, and they had uh, sharp objects and stone and glass and things embedded in, the, in this whip. And when they would whip him, and they would pull out chunks of flesh. And from the very wounds that he experienced while he was being beaten and bruised and chastised, when he, those wounds should have killed him. But the Bible tells us that he held death back. So that it would be fulfilled that cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Because he couldn't die on the post, he had to get to the tree. When he got to the tree, he fulfilled the prophecy. And so he makes it to the tree. He dies, it's, it's finished. And it says he gives up his spirit. For all you King Jamesers. He gives up the ghost. Everybody say Holy Ghost. He gives up the ghost. He gives up his spirit. Because what the enemy thought if he just killed one son of God, but the Bible says, beloved, now are you the sons of God. And when he was fighting one, now he fights many. He could not kill his strategy. So Peter lays out this sermon, talks about how Jesus died. He was crucified. He even goes as far to point his finger and say, you are the ones who crucified him. But then he tells the good news that he rose. He rose again. This is what we celebrate on Easter. He rose he rose from the dead, that there are promises in the Psalms that, that, that his body will not experience decay, that, that death will, will not have a hold on him. And in fact, Jesus, when he rises, he says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, victory. Oh, oh, grave, where is your victory? And so he conquers sin. He conquers death. He conquers the grave. And, and, and now as we give our lives to him, he, we, our lives are no longer ours. And so how can we be killed if we're already dead? I'm dead to myself. We saw in baptism, we're dead to the old man. We're dead to my will, my, uh, my ideas, what I think should happen, what I, and we live for someone else. And so when that's why Christians who are persecuted all over the world, and in fact, if you don't believe, Christians are more persecuted now than they've ever been in history. But the church is thriving. There, there is uh, statistics in Thailand or excuse me, Indonesia, that one person every seven seconds is born again. Every seven seconds. There's one. There's another one. There's another one. And that's how you can get the understanding that the kingdom is advancing and nobody can stop it. That of the increase of his peace and of his government and of his rulership, there will be no end. Because right now, as we speak, there it is increasing. It is expanding. Because that one moment he died, he rose again, and he gave up his spirit so that we could experience what the Bible calls and what historians call Pentecost, which is really just the first infilling of the Holy Spirit. It means that you've got something inside of you. 
The same spirit that conquered the grave, the same spirit that uh, conquered sin, conquered death, conquered the grave, that awoke the dead body of Jesus lives in your mortal bodies. It is impossible to have that same spirit and not conquer something. You were meant for it. You were born for it. You were destined for it. He put it in your DNA that you were made in his image and in his likeness. And just as he was a conqueror, he says you will become more than conquerors. You will be the head and not the tail. And so there's something powerful to understand and to realize because I think that we, we go through the motions and we go through the A's and the B's and the C's of the Christian life. And sometimes we forget that there's something in us that does not see impossibles. It doesn't see impossibility. There's an insatiable desire to see these things bow the knee to Jesus. There's a hunger that stirs in our hearts as the Holy Spirit makes Jesus more real to us. There's something that stirs up our, our spirits and our hearts, and, and all of a sudden, we may be having one of the worst days we've ever had, but the Holy Spirit comes and infuses us, and everything changes in a moment, and suddenly. And it's powerful to understand this, that at any given moment, you are just one awareness away from stepping into something new. You are one encounter away from transformation. You were one encounter away from renewing your mind. And all we have to do is be aware of what's in us. Be aware of what's in us, not push it down, but actually begin to let it out. It may feel foreign at first. It may feel uncomfortable. It may, it may feel uh, a little bit scary, and there might be a little bit of fear attached to it, but, but, but there's something that the Lord does all through the book of Acts is that when the, the apostles pray, he gives them boldness and courage. Courage doesn't mean that you have the absence of fear. Courage is the, 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 the unction to do something in spite of fear. The fear's still there, but you push through it. The, feel, the, the feeling of fear is still there, but you, you, you ignore it and you choose to step towards where you know you're supposed to be. And so you, you have to ask yourself the question, do I have courage? Do I have the courage to act outwardly on what I know is in me inwardly? Do we have the courage? Do we have the awareness? I believe that God wants to increase our awareness in this season. That there's something stirring. There's something stirring. And I know with prophetic people, and there's always something stirring. Always something stirring. Always something stirring. And if you're one of the skeptical ones that say, uh, yeah, we've heard that before, be it unto you according to your faith. There's something stirring. God's moving all over the earth in unprecedented ways. He's lining things up. He's moving and shifting people like chess pieces all over the earth. And, 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 and he's orchestrating something. 
And I don't know about you, but I am filled with anticipation. I am filled with excitement. I believe that the Father is seated on the edge of his throne with anticipation, with what he is about to release and what he's already started to release, even in this room. But we have to believe wholeheartedly that we are stepping into it, that it's yours for the taking, that there's something in you. And stop waiting for the person beside you. Stop waiting for somebody else. God's given you a vision. He's given you a dream. He's given you ideas and strategies and books and businesses. And he's put all this stuff inside of you. And this is what I'm talking about, of having the courage to act outwardly on what he's put in you inwardly. Do you have the courage? Or will you die a dreamer? Will you die in the land of coulda, woulda, and shoulda? Will you die on the verge and on the edge of something happening, but it never happens? Will you die in the place between? The place between. I love, anybody love Dr. Seuss? Shift gears. One of my favorite Dr. Seuss books is The Places You'll Go. I used to be able to recite by memory the whole, the whole book. But I know in, in, in the middle of there, there's, uh, it's called the, you know, it says people get stuck in the place in between. It's the most unusual place. It's the, the most unuseful place. It's called the waiting place. Waiting on this, waiting on that waiting on a bus or a train or a plane, waiting, waiting, waiting. And there, there are, there's a principle of, of waiting on God, and we have scriptures about waiting on God, and we sing songs about waiting on God. I don't think we actually listen to the words and actually read the scriptures because I know that Isaiah 42, it says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like inactivity. It doesn't sound like inactivity. It sounds like you're going somewhere, and as you're going, he's renewing. As you're moving, as you're mounting, he's renewing. As you're running, he's renewing. He's renewing strength. He's renewing vision. He's renewing hope. He's renewing ideas. He's renewing strategies. He's renewing grace. He's renewing mercy. He's renewing power. He's renewing increase. There's something powerful about understanding this. That waiting on God doesn't look like you're sitting at the bus stop waiting on something to go by. But to actually realize what he's put in you. Everything you need to succeed in this next season of life you already have. Everything you need for the business you want to start is in you right now. 
We can make up all kinds of excuses and say, well, I don't have the background for it. I didn't go to college. I, I don't have the degrees. I don't have the, the things behind you know, uh, my, my name. I don't have the, the resources. I don't have any of these stuff. And we can make all kinds of excuses, and all you're saying is, I don't know what's in me. All you're saying is, I really don't know what's in me. Because we're praying about resources, all those things could be looked at as resources, not knowing that we have the source in us. The source in us. And as you commune and fellowship and, and, and begin to be active and engage with the source, you understand that, that he supplies all of my needs according to the riches in his glory. That I will lack no thing, that all of his, uh, that, that, that his, the answers to, to my requests are yes and amen, that, that, that he supplies all of those things. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. And so we have to stop making excuses. It might take you a little bit longer, yeah. You might have to take some classes at night. You might have to... You know, maybe you don't read as fast as somebody else. There, there, there's all, there could be all kinds of obstacles, but the story you tell yourself will hold you back, not God. The story we tell ourselves will hold you back, not God. There are three things that, that you need. There are many things you need. Some of you need a lot more than others. Just teasing. But if we're going to move forward in what God's calling us to do, everybody in here has a destiny. In the same way, everybody in here has a history. And you're either running towards your history or towards your destiny. We're either wallowing in our history or we're turning about face and running towards destiny. As you run towards destiny, you need a strategy. Right? You need a strategy. You need a plan. You, you need a path. You need a map. You need, I need to know where I'm going. And, and, and you may not have the end goal in mind, but you know a few steps along the way until you get there. Right? You need a strategy. But a strategy in itself is not good enough to just have a strategy. Do you understand that, that uh, it... Is there any lack of strategy to get in shape? Don't, don't look at me as an example. I see you judging me with those tone of eyes. Is there a lack of strategy to get in shape? No, there's not. You, 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 were, you were one Google search away from a strategy, from multiple strategies, from, from probably millions of strategies. There's a gym on every corner. You, you can call up a personal trainer and hire a personal trainer. You can, if you've got the resources and the means, you can hire a dietitian. You can hire a chef. There, there is no lack of strategy. And so just having a strategy isn't good enough. You've got to begin to tell yourself the narrative that will keep you on the strategy. 
You've got to begin to tell yourself this. The story you tell yourself keeps you where you're at. The story you tell yourself will keep you stuck in the orbit of ordinary. But if you begin to tell yourself an extraordinary story, if you begin to just read scripture, read promises over your life, and that you're the head and not the tail, that he's made your enemies your footstool, that, 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 that you rule and you reign with Christ, that you are more than conquerors. When you begin to tell yourself a new story, you delete the old story. And some of us have been telling ourselves the old story for so long, we don't know how to begin to tell ourselves a new story. You've got to identify. Ask the Holy Spirit, what am I telling myself that's, that's hindering me? You've got to sozo yourself. What is hindering me? Because I understand this, that, that, that Acts 2, it tells me that the Holy Spirit came and there, there's no place in here where he left. There, he's in here. I, I read it. He came. And 3,000 people get saved on the first day. And it multiplied after. You know what the smallest number of multiplication is? Double. Double. So he's here, and he never left. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? we got to understand what's in us. So that what's in us can get out of us. So that we can break open this vessel of clay and allow the oil to come out. The oil of who he is. The oil of who you're meant to be. And how, how you know that you're in the flow of where you're supposed to be is there's grace on it. There's oil on it. Things happen, doors open, things that you can't explain. And you realize that you're in the flow. So we've got to ask ourselves, what's hindering? What's hindering? Because I believe that God wants to do something unprecedented. He's stirring. Something's stirring. You know the meme... He's stirring something. And if you tell yourself the story that he's not, if you tell yourself that it's just mundane, routine, that it's just, uh, you know, one day after the next, it's, we're just going through the motions, we're just, you know, doing our thing, not realizing that God's using each person as part of a larger plan, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, that God's given us courage to step out into what he's called us to step out of. And there's, there, there, there's just something about this. And I haven't quite put my finger on it. But it, it, it's tied to our awareness of what's in us. Are you aware of what's in you? 
It's not a trick question. Are you aware what's in you? You have to ask yourself, am I aware of what he's put in me? Am I aware of what he's put in me? And I'm not, you know, you, you know it in theory. Because I think a lot of us know it in theory. We could explain it. We could give examples. We understand it. But there's still something there that's holding us back from our true potential. If you were honest with yourself, how many of you here feel like you've been held back from your true potential? It, it, it feels like doors don't open as easily for you. It feels like there's, there's a hindrance. There's like you're trudging through mud, like you're going through something, and, and, and you don't exactly know what it is. You don't know how to get through it. You don't know how to get to the other side. And I really believe that it's tied to our awareness of what's in us. Our awareness of what's in us. And so how do we increase our awareness? We increase our awareness by a couple of ways. Discipline for one. You guys all right? Discipline will help you increase your awareness. Timothy talks about study to show yourself approved. It's in the context of being able to teach the Word of God. But there, there's, a, there's an application to study. There's an application of, of reading the Scriptures, of knowing. And, 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 and the Bible tells us that, that we, uh, you know, our faith is increased. Our faith is increased by what we read, by what we hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not just uh, putting the audio book on and just putting it on repeat. But actually allowing yourself to dive in, to dig in, to find the, the, the connectors, to find, you know, where the Lord is highlighting. And you ever read a verse and it jumps off the page and smacks you in the face? And, and, and anybody ever done that? And God just... Whoosh. That typically means X marks the spot. It typically means X marks the spot, and you can camp there all day, all week, all month until you feel like God is, is showing you what he wanted to show you. So we, we increase our awareness by the, the discipline of reading the word, of studying, of worshiping, uh, you know, even when you don't feel like it. Because when you feel like it and you worship and then you don't feel like it and you don't worship, you've made worship about you and not about him. When you only worship when certain songs are playing or certain styles of music, we're, we're, we're worshiping, but not really. We've made it about us and not about him. Praying. Everybody. Everybody struggles in this area. We all want to pray more, if we're honest. We want to have more meaningful prayer times, 
more, more uh, impactful prayer time. And so a lot of these disciplines, they increase your awareness. And in the middle of these moments, God drops and he gives you moments. Anybody ever had a moment with God? Where it's like the clouds opened, God drops like a pillar of fire, and then you step into him. You have a moment. He shows you things. He speaks to you. He, uh, you know, encourages you. He lifts you up. He gives us moments. And all of these things lead to a greater measure of awareness. Awareness is key because awareness gives us capacity. Any area that you lack awareness, you lack capacity. Anything that God creates, he fills. Anything that God creates, he fills. When God created the earth, he filled it. He created the sea, and he filled it. The air, and he filled it. The, the, the land, and he filled it. He picked up a handful of dirt, and he filled it and created man. Anything that God creates, he fills. By nature, when God, uh, he, he's all-knowing, right? He's always aware. And because of his awareness, it's tied to his capacity, He doesn't lack any awareness, and he doesn't lack any capacity. He is God all by himself, right? And so there's something tied from our awareness to our capacity. And the more that we can increase our awareness in what God is doing, who he is, who he is through us, how he wants to be uh, in us and through us, when we increase our awareness, we in turn increase our capacity, you can now handle more than you thought you could handle. You can experience more than you thought you could experience. You, he can fill you more than you thought was possible. Because your awareness is tied to your capacity. And ultimately, I believe that God wants to increase our capacity. Because anything he creates, he fills. And so when you make room, he fills it. Every time you make room, he fills it. Every time you make room, he, you, he fills it. When you make room in your heart, he fills it. When you make room in your body, he fills it. When you make room in your mind, he fills it. When you make room in your marriage, he fills it. When you make room in your family, he fills it. When you make room in your business, he fills it. When you make room in your job and your finances, he fills it. Everything, everything that you make room for God, he fills it. It's a, it's a capacity. And he says all of the fullness. Ephesians tells us the fullness of God lives in our bodies. He has filled it to capacity. So everything you need is in you. Do you believe it? That was weak. Really weak.
Now, I, I, I hope that this would, would cause some thought-provoking provoking with you guys. Because this has been thought-provoking for myself. To understand that everything God's put in my heart, he's given me everything I need to accomplish it. To go for it, to fill it, to, to do it. And it's not mental gymnastics to get from one place to the other, but it's actually believing that if I make room, he fills it. Do you want to make room for him? Why don't you guys stand?